the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 108, bonus episode. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Today's episode is my recent appearance on Nikki P. and Liz's Peace Freaks podcast. We had a nice chat about my cookbook. I wrote it with a focus on making the procedure a better explanation of what's going on in the pan and when to do the next thing. You will hear both Nick and Liz make comments about that. I will have the links that I talk about for the book at the end of the episode. So. Between then and now, enjoy the listen. Take it away, Nick. Okay. Well, welcome, everyone, to Peace Freaks. We're here with the next Friday episode, the first Friday episode, in fact. Uh, we have our good friend, Mr. Dan Reed, on to uh, tell us all about what he does, and in particular, this new book he's released called Cooking for Comfort, One Pot Meals You Can Make. So welcome, Dan. Hello. Thank you. I, I'm excited when any one of my friends does anything and like actually does more than just talk about stuff. I, I find uh, I have too many friends that'll muse and wax poetic about what they're going to do and then they never do anything. And so, you know, it's one thing when somebody goes and they make the podcast because anyone can talk into a microphone. It's another thing when they can keep it going for a couple months. And it is a completely other world when someone says, well, I'm going to take it to the next level and I'm going to write a book so that I can have something to help get out there outside of when I'm not doing this. And you did just that. You also were smart enough to go and make a book that is going to have a, a huge utilitarian value. And even the title of the book uh, excites me because I like my cooking to be simple. And it, it seems as though, at the very least, you tried to make something that was going to be uh, approachable for readers. So I guess, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit why why you did this in the first place? Well... Bunch of reasons. One of the reasons is that I wanted to do something. Because you're right, there's a lot of people that opine, well, you know, if if all of these things happen, then I would do this thing. Well, of course, none of those things ever align just right, so they don't do anything. And I wanted to do something. And this was a thing I could do. The and and you're right, it is a collection of recipes for people to succeed. And a, a recipe is just a list of ingredients. And who cares? Anybody can make a list of ingredients. In, in my opinion, the thing that makes a recipe for the person cooking successful and not successful is how well the procedure is written. So if you're writing for somebody who doesn't really understand what cooking is, but wants to learn, is earnest in the endeavor to get better, but the recipe reads, cook this like you usually cook it, <laughs> you're not helping that person. There's no, there's no benefit. And because I understand the phobias that cooks can have, and it sounds crazy to say that even professional cooks coming out of their comfort zone, take a fish cook and put them in meat or the other way around, and they're all phobias. So everybody at any skill level learning something new benefits from plain instruction and explanation. Here's what to do. Here's what you can expect to happen and do something before the next thing happens. And so when they have that information, they can succeed. Once they can succeed, their confidence level will drive them to take on more challenges. And now they own some skills for cooking. That's the goal for making the book was to 
empower people to make themselves better cooks. And that's not, I didn't do that. You did that. That's your food. It's your kitchen. That's your stove. I'm curious if that, like you're mentioning how even with like trained cooks and stuff that they can, they can have a little bit of that with themselves even. And I'm, I'm make, taking note that this is a, you know, one pot meal of things. So you, most of the stuff I've seen you share in the past has been, you know, baked goods and baking with the kids and stuff. And so is this something that you would consider like outside of your comfort zone or you just kind of have all the comfort zones at this point? You've been collecting them like Pokemon for years. <laughs> I understand the Pokemon, but I don't play it. So it's a little (laughs) over my head. Uh, The reason that things you see shared and most of the things on the blog is baking is because baking is much easier to write a procedure for. Take 10 ounces of flour, take a stick of butter, take two eggs, take this specific amount of sugar, do this thing for this long, put it in the pan, bake it for this long, and now it's done. If I tell you, you're going to cook a steak, what kind of steak? How much fat's in the steak? How many minutes? I mean, I don't know. There's so many things that I can't know, including what pan you choose, how hot is hot to you. When I say medium high, what does that mean to you? So there's so many ways the person can reinterpret what is written to end up getting a less than favorable result. Baking takes most of that guesswork out because it's very precise. Now, your oven might not be the same as my oven, so 40 minutes might be 45 minutes, but that's a, that's an easy thing to accommodate. If I tell you, go to the farm, go to the creamery, get milk, make butter, well, now your butter and my butter are going to be very, very different, and you need some skill as the baker to know what's going on in the bowl to know that the finished product's going to come out like you expect. Food is harder to write on a blog post just for that reason, because there's so many things that can go wrong. And the cookbook doesn't make it any easier. It's actually harder because you can't email me. You can't message me. What am I doing? But <laughs> Well, I mean, I can, but that's neither here nor there. Yes, you can. <laughs> but but there's a way, and I, I think I've... So One Pot Meals sort of takes some of that guesswork out because we're not cooking... Uh, we're not cooking tenderloin. We're not cooking Delmonico steaks. We're cooking stuff in a pot where I'm not interested in medium rare on this piece of meat because it's going into a stew. It's going into a big pot of stuff and everything is done. So what we're really focusing on and the skills being built by most of the recipes that are soups and stews are learning how to build flavor. Because I think one of the prime, com- not complaints, observations would be that restaurant food always tastes better. Well, part of that is the expectation. Part of that is actually because it tastes better. But why is they have, well, they have things you don't. They have a big old kitchen with lots of space and lots of ingredients you don't have. But they also have a cooking skill where they're letting the flavor develop before they do the next thing. And a lot of home cooks, I think, are afraid to do that because if they do it too much, then I burn the meal. Now, instead of making dinner, I've made garbage. So it's better to feed somebody something instead of feeding the garbage can everything. I mean, we we have our we have our horror story from just last night where yeah. Liz discovered halfway through cooking dinner that she didn't have as much of one ingredient as she wanted, and I get the text message, "Yeah, just just pick up dinner on your way home." <laughs> Basically, <laughs> but it, you know that's it's the the curse of not having that industrial professional kitchen where everything's just there, right? So. One of the things that I personally, I mean, and Liz can speak this more because she's the one that's probably spent more time in the book than I did. But when we were going over the actual 
list of uh, stews and different dishes in here, I was incredibly surprised at the amount of variety that you managed to come up with for, you know, a book that's basically throwing stuff in a pot. Like there's a lot of different flavors in there. There are a lot. Well, you know, there's, if you take, so let's, let's think about, I don't, there's at least one thing in there that is sort of New Orleans-ish. But if you think about New Orleans cooking in the Trinity, you have your peppers and celery and onions. And then of course, we're going to add garlic, which is not part of the Trinity. And there's really celery, onions, and peppers are going to give you mostly the same flavor all the time. Mm -hmm. You can caramelize them more and get a deeper, richer, complex flavor from them, but fundamentally it is onions and celery and peppers. Where flavor really changes is in the spices you add. Now we can go everywhere. And so between the the many kinds of curry, even the yellow one you buy in the store, or a Creole seasoning or a Cajun seasoning, and for the sticklers, yes, there is a difference from herbs. All of that stuff is now going to change the flavor. It's going to change the heat. It's going to change the the flavors. When you do a really good job, you get flavor. The first thing you taste is like, oh, this is good. And then a few seconds later, something else comes comes through. Say, oh, whoa, look at that. Did you get that flavor? And then 30 seconds later, maybe even a minute later, that last flavor shows up. And when you can achieve that, that's a great, that's first, that's a really good feeling of accomplishment personally, that, wow, I made this food and these people can't shut up about it. That's exciting stuff to do. But building flavor with spices and herbs, now that's where we can take something simple like carrots and celery and peppers and transform it to anything at all. And I think that was a huge um, strength of the recipes uh, as, I, as I'm reading through, because you'll see some of the things that have kind of the simple ingredients um, and you're, you do use, you know, simple ingredients. I think somewhere in the, in the introduction, you talk about not trying trying not to use things that are too exotic ingredient wise, which I definitely appreciate. But you'll look at recipes like, you know, just online and um, they'll have those simple ingredients and you put it together and it tastes OK. But you kind of throw in, you know, an extra spice here or, you know, um, uh, an, another ingredient to sort of bump up the flavor that you wouldn't expect. And I think that's that's really cool. That's. That's what's exciting about it, I think. Well, that and and you're right, and that's the fun. Really, the fun is thinking about how to get how to get the most flavor. If we want to eat the food, let's at least make it memorable food. Yeah. So there's uh, in in Asian cuisine and then the saute. A lot of the stuff is high heat sautéed before liquid is added. So a lot of things happen at that really high heat, but there's also some interesting flavor combinations that work that should work in everything. So ginger and garlic work together in a, there, there's just a harmony created that is really surprising, but very delicious. Mm-hmm. And if you let ginger, car- not, not powders, we're talking about fresh ginger, slice it real thin and let it caramelize just a little teeny bit. And, and I don't know how much a little teeny bit is. And this is where, so this is, a, this is an important thing because mm-hmm. because recipe books will say, cook it for one minute. Yeah. Well, how does he know that? One minute at what temperature? At what stove? I mean, there's so many ways that that can be a wrong guide. So I say until you smell it. Hmm. I don't know how long it's going to take, but when you start to smell the garlic, that's your that's your nasal cue. That's not the right word. <laughs> it's it, I can't. I'm I'm slipping. It's not. It sounds like olfactory. 
that's the one. Thank you, sir. That's your clue that you have to do something. Because yeah. now, once you start to smell the garlic, you've got, now you actually have a few seconds before you go from nice and yummy to brown and burnt. And burnt garlic is, is not yum no matter what you do. Yeah. So adding something. The something is going to be liquid. Yeah. Liquid's going to take the heat out of the pan. Well, what does liquid look like? Liquid looks like chopped tomatoes. Liquid looks like stock. Liquid looks like a handful of chopped onions and celery and peppers. Because once they hit the heat, they're going to release the liquid. When that happens, you're lowering the temperature of the pan. So what happens is that stuff that you're smelling is the caramel of the food. That caramel goes into the food. That's flavor. And I love the way that you express that because like you said, the olfactory cue or you talk about the sound of, of the sizzling, you know, the pitch of the sizzling. Those are all like, literally helping people build skills as they're making the recipe, which is huge because... I'm expecting good things out of this because uh, since me and Liz have you know, been together, what, eight years now, something like that? Yeah, something like that. And there's always been a, a difficulty. I grew up, I guess we'll just say, with the Italian gene. And so cooking has kind of always been part of the house. And so it's been a long-standing issue with me and Liz that it's difficult often to get her to understand cooking. Like she's always been a great baker, but cooking, I just get the impression wasn't something that they did as a family. Yeah. I didn't have the instincts. So that's what I'm saying. Like telling me, okay, when you smell it, that means something. When you hear it, that means something. That's like actually helping build skills for people, you know, who don't have the skills. Well, and when you talk flavors and the way flavors come about, like you put me in front of a, just a bunch of spices and throw me in the kitchen. It's going to be a very different scenario than it's going to be with Liz and that like, I'm I'm going to kind of have an idea in my head of what I'm putting together. If you've ever watched Ratatouille, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You just, you, you have that thing in your head. And I think that maybe she just wasn't exposed to as much flavor as I was growing up and doesn't have that, that palate there. So it, it, a lot of things get difficult for her when you're trying to explain it to her because she just doesn't have that experience. And I'm excited to find a book that helps bridge some of these gaps. But it's going to make my life infinitely better. I know that. <laughs> well, you, Nick, you make an interesting point. And part of why craftspeople are good at the thing that they do is there's a vernacular. Mm -hmm. So painters talking to painters probably speak in a shorthand that wouldn't make any sense to me, but they know what they're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, wood carvers probably have the same sort of, there's just a language to the craft of carving wood that I don't speak, so I don't know what they're saying. Cooking is the same thing in some ways in terms of the words used, braise, stew, saute, bake, roast, whatever, but also exposure to the ingredients. And if you, if you just didn't grow up in a household that cooked, it's not, I mean, Liz knows it's not a reflection on her, but it's something that she can learn. Mm -hmm. And once you find a way to learn these things and understand that the sound makes a difference, when that high pitch is happening, that's a really, really, really hot pan and something needs to happen. Something requires your attention. Mm -hmm. When you smell something getting, when you, you, smell is a thing you can, you obviously you smell it, but you have to learn what that smell is. I can't do that for you, mm -hmm. but you'll learn real quick when it goes one second too far. I missed it. So this is, this is the skill building. And now the beautiful part about this for your family is you can take these skills from these recipes, put them into other ones that you like, mm -hmm. share them with your daughter, say, now this is our family culture. 
we're taking the Italian, we're taking Liz, we're putting them together. And Liz, I don't know what your culture is, but it doesn't right, matter. Because right. yeah. you're making now your family culture, something you share with your child, and you're building some flavors and some skills for her. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, I don't know that we need another another generation of pecones that can cook. It's clearly not helped my waistline any, but <laughs> Well, you gotta eat it. Might might as well be tasty. But yeah, no, it's 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 very cool. And there are um a great variety of recipes, you know. They're they're not all just Which I, I look at like that's a great way to introduce people to different spices because there's stuff I know there was a few things in there that aren't they're not like they're not hard to find things, but they're things that most people probably wouldn't buy unless they had a reason to buy them. Um, I can't remember specifically what there's one one recipe in particular that really struck me that way, and I can't remember what it is offhand. Well, it's not a lot of help, Nick. I know. <laughs> I was waiting for my co-host to dip in, and <laughs> I know I'm, I'm I'm looking. There's um there's definitely the the acorn squash with apples. I was excited about because uh, that sounds amazing, and it's not squash is not something we eat a lot in our house. But you've got cardamom, you've got cinnamon, you've got nutmeg. You know, and those are the things that. Okay, yeah, you might make you might see a squash soup recipe, but like to have that those particular spices in there, I think are uh, is unique. And well, I know cardamom is the one that personally I don't have much exposure to. Right, exactly. I know you have turmeric in some recipes here. You've got um, star anise. Turmeric is the one that we put in uh, the curry, right? Yes, it, it's commonly in like curry powders, um, and really, really good for you. The yellow from. Yellow curries is from turmeric. Now, most grocery stores in the produce section, usually next to the ginger root, will have turmeric. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's a rhizome, which just as a funny word for how it grows as a root system, it's smaller than ginger, and the outside skin is a little bit darker, but it looks mostly the same. It looks like small ginger, but the, smell it. Mm-hmm. Even even as a root, it's like, well, this, this is not ginger. It doesn't taste hot but it has a smell like it could be hot you know sometimes if you smell a pepper mm-hmm. it, like a jalapeno aside from the odor it has a smell to it that's like well this could be really really hot turmeric has it's almost like an acrid dryness it's not spicy hot but it's got a powerful flavor and if you wash it if it's fresh i don't even bother peeling the ginger the turmeric is just one more step that isn't really to me a necessary step but Take the turmeric or with your knife, cut it really, really thin, and then saute that with some olive oil and then some onions and garlic and some zucchini. And it's fantastic. And the health benefits from turmeric, I don't know what the difference is between the health benefit from dried and the health benefit from fresh. I just know that the fresh turmeric tastes really good in a fresh vegetable dish. It makes a wonderful color. So it's something that's visually interesting on the plate and it has a nice flavor. It's good compatibility and you can go into uh, around the world. Then you can go into Caribbean and Jamaican and Indian and Middle Eastern food because they're all going to use turmeric in some way. And it just opens up your exposure to different ideas. The one thing I did notice about the book was that you uh, you seem to really focus on like whole food ingredients. Like I don't know if you were doing that from a health angle, but I mean, it, it came across to me as kind of that more healthy sort of idea that's out there right now to use the whole food. Did that, did that factor in at all? The use of the whole foods is just for utilitarian. Okay. Because I'm only a family of four. I'm not a family of four. My household's a family of four. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, without getting into politics, prices are going up and wages aren't. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's, 
I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be said about that, but we're not going to go into that. I was going to say, you worked in professional kitchens, too. And if you don't have to throw it away, you probably prefer not to because that's money going down the drain. Well, exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find it because I know that a household budget is much more strict than a restaurant budget mm-hmm. in terms of the restaurants not going to throw things away. But the, the access to foie gras and, you know, Kobe beef and the high end ingredients is a little bit higher than the household. But the both places, conserving what you buy yeah. makes sense. Using as much of your purchase as you So that's part of it. And also there's, I don't know what the scalable is for everybody. So it's easier to, the people who know how to do a higher end dish, yeah. they can do a higher end dish. They don't need me to explain to them where to take this thing. And instead of making carrots, they can make 20 carrots. Who knows what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can do that. So making it easy for everybody to get into cooking, and then they can find ways to do something else, but also using what they've got. Yeah. Telling you to go buy foie gras to make some dish when you can't buy foie gras or are morally opposed or ethically opposed, and that's fine. You don't have to eat it. But making making it hard doesn't benefit anybody. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, I, I'm I'm excited to put the cookbook to use personally. Uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you think, Liz? Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of really great ideas and and great just tips, you know, in in explaining the recipes. You you not only have the uh, the cool ingredients, but you have kind of the information, like you know, you could take this part of this ingredient and use it for that, you know, and and all of that is in the book and uh, all of your skills. So it's awesome. Well, since you brought it up and since you you made the comment that Liz will do most of the cooking, I was going to tease you about using the book for uh, balancing out the table, but I'm going to give you a task. (laughs) There is on page 146, the marinara sauce, which may or may not be how you learned to make it. (laughs) If that isn't how you learned to make it, Follow that recipe and tell, and you don't have to like it. I'm not telling me, I'm not telling you it's better than what you make. I'm saying it is a different kind of marinara sauce intended to build a deeper flavor into the sauce. And tell me what you think about it. <laughs> right on. Um, why don't you tell our, our uh, listeners where they can go and get a copy of it? As Cooking for Comfort or under Dan Reed with two ends. There's also a web page where you can see some of the pictures that fans have sent me of the dishes they made. And that is culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort. And there's, uh, you can download the introduction, which gives a really good insight into how the book can be used and what it is that Liz and I have been talking about in terms of getting access into cooking skills and what does it mean when I'm talking about time, you know, not the, not the herb, but the clock and, and how to use your sensory skills to your advantage to cook good food. And there's also an Amazon link on that page. Right on. Well, we'd like to thank you so much for coming on, Dan. We're excited to put this to use, and I hope other other families out there can get some use out of it as well. Well, I'm thrilled to talk about it because I love talking about food, and thank you very much for inviting me. Yay. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll add the link to the blog post with the PDF of the introduction as well as a link to the Amazon page on the show notes page. It's a lot of pages culinarylibertarian.com slash 108. There is the look here feature or whatever they call it available and active on the Amazon page also to look inside the book for as much as they let you. Also, I want you to get fat, get real fat 
And to do that, I'll add the link to Fatworks. Fatworks sells duck fat and pork fat and beef fat and chicken fat, all for cooking. Get real fat for real cooking, just like our forefathers did. Click the banner on the show notes page or surf to culinarylibertarian.com slash getfat. Please share this episode on your social media feeds and with anyone you know who likes to eat or likes to cook. Rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.